Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Kath Basami, and Kath is the CEO of the Recruiting Group, which is a, a Capita and Army partnership. And um, she's going to be talking about leading in partnerships, cultural transformations, and managing complex stakeholder partnerships. And dealing with the British Army, as I know, having been in it for 20 years, is difficult for any civilian organization. And recruiting for the Army is a, has its particular complex situations. Kath has had uh, many years of experience in recruitment in all sorts from Alexander Mann Solutions to, to various others working with Zurich and GE. She's got a, a wealth of experience. She's also a rugby coach and uh, for, uh, for her son. Um, I think it's the under 19, the under 12s now, she's been in the under 9s and now the under 12s. Um, sports at Loughborough and uh, she's still keeping fit and healthy. So Kath, welcome. It's great to have you on the Inspiring Thank Leadership you. Series. Good to be here, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you very much. So tell us about the role and some of the important aspects of it. Sure. So Recruiting Group is a 10-year, effectively, partnering project between the Army and Capita, starting 2012, goes through to 2022. And it's a contract to deliver all aspects of recruitment for the Army. So that's regulars and reserves, soldiers and officers. Um, from the marketing, so the TV ads you'll see and the posters you see that tend to be very controversial when they come out every year, deliberately, um, right through selection, uh, the high street career centres around the country, medicals, fitness testing, um, into basic training. So the point of basic training is when, is when we stop, but we're responsible for, for that end-to-end -end process. Um, and we're very much embedded within the army. So we sit within a, a two-star command that's also responsible for all the basic training uh, in the army. Um, and the team is about 1,400 strong. So I've got around 900 civilians um, and around 500 soldiers who are serving members of the army who get rotated into what to recruiting group, as, as we're known in the army, um, for a normally about two-year period and then rotated out again. So it's genuinely a blended partnership of both military and, and civilian. So quite unique. Um, in the contract is set up like a normal outsourcing contract with kind of outcome deliverables, um, but it has mem members of the army working within the team, which is what makes it quite unique um, as a mm. part. Mm. So it's quite a large team. Um, it's obviously across the whole of the UK, including the career centres, the assessment centres, um, and then a big uh, national recruiting centre in Uphaven on Salisbury Plain, where we do all of the kind of back office uh, elements. Um, so that a core part of my role is, is leading that joint team, which culturally is is interesting because you've got the very different backgrounds of the staff being military and and civilian. Um, and then um, another core part of my role is, is effectively business partnering with the two star general. So the major general who's responsible for recruiting and training for the army. So that's that leading in partnership piece you mentioned at the front. That That's what that is all about. And, and how you bring two very different organizations together in a really kind of coherent, trusting mutually respectful, collaborative way to, de to deliver a challenging outcome. Um, and then it's a it's you know, a big part of the role is, is managing the complex kind of stakeholder nexus that I talk about. So there's obviously the army, there's obviously Capita. Um, you've also got the MOD, 
the press um, and politicians who are very, very interested in what we're doing. And then also the Navy and the RAF as well, because our IT system supports their recruiting. And, and my team also deliver the medicals for them, for their recruitment process. So there's a it's a very, very high, high profile uh, uh, process operation for, for reasons recruiting for the army is is, is critical nationally um, and there are a lot of people who are very interested in, in, in how we perform so that's it has a very kind of uh, very very public facing challenging kind of stakeholder uh, dynamic to it as well but yeah, so, so when you when you took over it it, uh, it was quite there's a lot of criticism being leveled at the recruiting group and the capital relationship but you formed a very good relationship with our very first uh, podcaster, uh, Major General Paul Nansen, who's now become or is about to become a, an executive coach himself. Um, and Paul, we have a lot of respect for Ben and I. And um, what was it that made that relationship special? Because the two of you turned things around. Um, well, what, what made it special? Well, I think we were very lucky and we both say this and we've talked about it a lot. We were very lucky in in comparison with our predecessors in that we came into our roles, we both stepped into our roles at the same time on either side of the partnership, but at a point where the captain chief executive, a guy called John Lewis was, was new. Um, and he and Nick Carter, who at the time was head of the army had, had, had a very positive engagement and, and both of them agreed to draw a line under everything that had gone before between the two organizations and focus on making the partnership a success. And it was the two of them, that dynamic that really changed. Um, and they very much tasked, their joint leadership teams. So Paul and I stepping into our roles on either side of the partnership with with we uh, John John Lewis used the phrase zippering up the the organisations, um, and the two, us at the kind of two star level, I suppose, were were very core to that zippering up. Um, mm. We drove that all the way through our organisations um, as well to make sure that it it really felt like a partnership. Um, and we've reflected actually, and there was there were some things that about two years on, as he's moved on and left the army, what what made it work. Um, and I think there were a few things. One is we dis decided to trust one another independently. We didn't talk about it overtly, but we independently both made the decision that we were going to trust one another, which was huge because there just hadn't been that trust on either side of the partnership previously. Um, I think the fact that we had the female, male, civilian, military dynamic actually was a huge plus for us, even though we didn't think about it at the time. But we came with very different backgrounds and different experiences but again, because we trusted one another and willing to listen to one another, you, you managed you could access the strengths of both, really, you know, and compensate for the weaknesses of both. Um, so yeah, we were we we were lucky in lots of ways. You know, we came in at a good time, I think. But we also deliberately chose to trust one another, and we leveraged the diversity and the background of experience that that we had. Yeah, and Paul's role now he's he's moved on. He was both commandant of the Royal Military Academy Centres, and he was in charge of recruiting yeah. across the whole of the army. I think that's now done by two different generals. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Who yeah. who and who are the people you're now working with? Um, so uh, Duncan Capps now runs Sandhurst, uh, mm -hmm. and but he has very much an an, an outward facing role for Sandhurst as ambassador internationally. Um, Chris Bell runs all of the recruitment and training aspects. So Chris Bell is Paul's uh, successor, who I now partner with very closely, and Chris is also fantastic. So I'm I'm hugely lucky to work with two you know two brilliant partners on the army side of the partnership. Yeah. So the army's used to crises and disasters, um, sometimes bureaucratic ones, but often normally wars or operations. Uh, you, you've been thrown a lot of googlies over the years and different jobs you, you've had of coming in to sort out a problem or being in a job when there's a problem and having to resolve it. Um, how has COVID-19 affected what you do, personal life as well as your work? 
And uh, what's your advice about dealing with a crisis? Well, there's a lot of questions there. Um, so, uh, um, obviously, you know, when COVID arrived, similarly to the rest of the country, it was a it was a, a huge shock. And I think we all now look back with hindsight and think, how did we not how did we not see this coming better? You know, nationally and internationally. Um, but it, when it arrived, we had to close all of the high street career centres that we have around the country immediately. Um, we also had to close all of our assessment centres um, immediately. Um, our national recruiting centre in Uphaven, which has about or 500 people there obviously we needed to send everyone home and try and find a way to but try and find a way to keep the operation going so the the first few weeks were all about getting everyone safe um so as many laptops as we had to make as many people as possible work from home remotely spreading out shift patterns so people could still do their jobs but not have to be so many people in the building at the same time you know leveraging other building spaces in in our main hq we did we did all of that uh, as you'd expect but then obviously we needed to keep the recruiting operation going for our candidates. Um, so we moved everything that we normally do in a high street career centre uh, virtually. So we're normally in a high street career centre, candidates would come in and have a, a detailed career brief from a serving soldier. Um, and then they'd have a very detailed individual career discussion with a, with, a, with a civilian recruiter. So we moved all of that. So all of the kind of presentation uh, videos, content, moved that online develop some more more content to make it more engaging and then allowed all of our soldiers and civilian recruiters to interact virtually with the candidates and actually interestingly they we had some fantastically strong feedback from that which was one of those things that we will learn and take forward in terms of the candidates actually enjoying it recruiters enjoying it and we had far fewer um, what we call fail to attend so quite often it's quite intimidating actually to, to screw up your courage travel to a career center ring the doorbell because you have to ring a doorbell for security reasons to, to do all of that and then walk into one of those career centers is quite it's quite challenging mm. but much much easier to do this do it like this you know on a, on a screen and virtually so we had much less fails to attend from candidates and active operation interestingly um, but the real challenge for us although we were having applications increase in the early days of covid um, and we could do the early stages of the process all virtually without any problem the real challenge was um, assessment centers because we have to do a face-to-face -face medical inspection with a, with a face full face-to-face medical with our candidates and we need to do fitness tests as well um, and all that had to be done face to face. Um, so really, we had a, a complete stop from the middle of March until um, the middle of June. And we then reopened again gradually, um, changed the format completely in terms of stripping out some of the, the nice to have that we'd normally do at an assessment centre and slimming them down a bit. But making sure we obviously use PPE, social distancing, all the processes. And actually, in, in August, we will have the third highest month ever. Well, centres. Uh, our two previous high month, highest months at the back end of last year when we were pushing through hitting the 100% of the target last year um, but yeah August is our third highest month ever which given that we're in the middle of a pandemic you know the, the operation have been uh, the ops my ops team are phenomenal and they're working you know incredibly hard um, and it's and it's been a, a story of really really again really really strong collaboration with the army to get extra resources where we need them to make sure that we could keep that going and, and stand that up again. So that's been a huge, you know, we've, we've really, and the word is pivoted, isn't it? Pivoted the operation. We pivoted the operation so that we could keep going despite the pandemic and, and keep pushing soldiers through into, and reservists through through into the army. So that's been incredibly interesting, difficult, challenging. Um, mm. We've, I, I suppose personally, I've I've, all, I've carried on going into, into up even to HQ the whole, the whole way through. Um, because I thought it was really important to be very, very visible to my teams, some of whom had to be in Uphaven as well. 
Um, and also to make sure I had that face-to-face -face contact with um, with the general, with Paul and then Chris, who I've been working with, um, and keep that relationship and close collaboration going, which is, I think, although you can do this stuff virtually, I think, you know, it's better face-to-face -face if you can um, to keep that face-to-face -face contact up as well. So, uh, but I've been enjoying a bit of a slower pace of life, working from home, seeing kids more. Uh, homeschooling has its challenges, um, but uh, but no, it's yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I think mostly I've, I've quite enjoyed it. Um, and in terms of advice, yeah. I think there are three things. Um, one, I think, is the importance of thinking through to the finish, which I don't know if that's a military term, but it's, it's one I've picked up in the last couple of years, and so maybe it is. But when you're thinking about decisions, just think through to the full implications of the decision you're making and what might happen. Um, but probably don't take too long about it because you need to make decisions and you need act, to act in a crisis. So think through to think through to the finish. Um, the second is is that leadership visibility. I think you really need it's more important than ever to be highly, highly visible to your people. Um, and if that means doing it virtually, then that means doing it virtually. So we did things like uh, virtual coffee chats frequently so that it wasn't compulsory. So people didn't think they had to had to log on and listen to me. Um, but we did a couple of times a week and it was very there was no agenda. Um, people could ask me questions if they wanted or otherwise we'd just talk about what TV people were watching or what they were worried about. But just making sure that I was visible and accessible was, I think, really important. Um, and then the last one is, in a crisis, is being, is showing empathy. Mm. Everybody is going to experience whatever crisis it might be um, in a different way. And you need to be sympathetic to that, respect that, um, and, and, and think about that um, in the way that you interact rather than just assuming everyone is, is dealing with it in the same way, I think. Uh, so those would be my, those would be the things I've taken, I think I've taken over the last three, four yeah. months. Yeah, great, great advice. Um, which, which made me think of uh, another one, which um, I wondered about, what was the tip that you wish you'd known about at the start of your career that really would have helped you throughout your career? Just one thing that you wished you'd known right at the beginning of all this, way, way back way way back um i think i think it's about being yourself um and just recognizing that it's important just to be authentic um and that's whether you're it's actually more more especially when you're a leader actually i think um but but throughout any role um just not trying to pretend some kind of gravitas that you don't feel or pretend you know the answers when you don't or you know, just just be relaxing and being yourself. Um, a it means that you will enjoy yourself more and find things easier. And I think generally people respond better to you if they think the authentic version of of you. So, mm. if someone had someone had said to me when I was 18, 19, you know, relax, just just relax and, and be yourself, um, which is maybe yeah easier to say, maybe harder to do. I think particularly yeah. when out in your career uh, you know and, and you you're going into environments that you think um you can find intimidating um mm. and i suppose going into the military environment that that that's been a real lesson in authenticity for me actually because i've you know it would have been easy to try and conform to the the hierarchies and the military norms and the way of doing things but but actually i deliberately haven't um and i think that's been a strength you know i've quite enjoyed Fondly, fondly teasing um, my military colleagues about, for example, um, their absolute need for a seating plan. 
you know, which which uh, which I just don't get. Not, I don't I don't mind where I sit. Um, there's no hierarchy here. Um, so no, I think you know try, having the confidence to relax and be yourself actually is is, is that's very good. You, you remind me of uh, when I was an officer cadet many years ago. Um, goodness, forty years ago at Sandhurst, and um, I went into you know, we we had Sunday church. You know, we all were marched to the church. And I remember going in and seeing that there was a seating plan and, you know, the commandant and the others sat at the front. And I thought, hang on, God doesn't see it that way. You know, there's, oh. there's, no, there's no pecking order there that the poor, the, the poor are right at the back and the rich are at the front. You know, Absolutely. Like, this, this, is, this is wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. Anyway, that's another story. Can you tell uh, them? Yeah. <laughs> well, I did, I did once uh, write a, a small book called The Army Needs More Maverick Officers. And I presented it to the now General Sir Richard Danner, who was my commanding officer, and said, I think I was going to publish this. And he went, don't publish it if you want to have a career. I went, oh, OK. So I never published it. Um, it's a shame. I had some really great cartoons in it as well. But actually, <laughs> what was encouraging for me, I, I missed, the, missed the moment. But I, I had no career anyway, so probably I should have just gone early and broken it early. Um, but it was I was listening to um, uh, call sign Chaos, uh, General Mattis. And he said, you need, you know, officers should encourage mavericks and, and people who are different because you do need different ways of thinking. So I think it's really encouraging that you are challenging them and teasing them because because you don't want rigid thinking. You do want okay. flexibility. Though there are one or two things which are quite useful. Like when you're on a Zoom call, I now I now send an Arthur's round table and I say these are where people are sitting on the virtual table so you know who's going to begin will go to their left people know that they're then going to get their turn to speak so there's sometimes that old rigid uh, are useful how about inspiration um who, who inspires you or inspired you as a leader and and um somebody who handled challenges well he or she um there's a there's a there's a couple who spring to mind so one male one female um I think the the female who really inspired me is a lady called Dawn Marriott Sims, who was COO of Capita, and I used to work for Dawn. Um, and she was the first, and this is going back a few years, um, and she was the first woman in a senior role who I saw being determinedly and comfortably really feminine um, in the way she dressed and the way she acted. Um, so, you know, it was, it was the time when women wore business suits, you know, just male versions of suits, uh, female versions of male suits. And Dawn just didn't do that. She wore nice dresses and funky shoes, you know, and she was completely comfortable. And she, you know, before before it was cool, she was writing, putting emojis in her emails. Um, and so she was a very, very senior woman who was entirely comfortable in her own skin. Um, and and that was very, very empowering um, to see. So she's she's an incredible, um, she was an incredible role model, actually, I think for me and, and another number of other females in Capita. To show what's, she, what's she doing now? Um, she is now a partner in a private equity firm. Uh, and doing doing very well doing very well yeah. and she's talented i'm not surprised um and then and then the other i suppose it would be and we've spoken about it already would be would be paul nansen who mm. you know i said to you earlier on bit pre pre coming on on air that uh, i've been privileged to have a two-year leadership masterclass really working with him um and one of the things that he did really early on which i noticed and really learned from is he he's very very good at putting everyone else at their ease by you know he's not and he's very comfortable showing personal weakness or vulnerability. Um, we were in a you know in, a, in one of the, one of our first big governance meetings and there was a, a pay, pack, massive pack full of stats that we were going to get through and really really complicated um, in depth data. 
and, and everyone didn't really know each other. So people were being very, very formal and, and a little bit worried about how the meeting might go. Uh, and Paul made a joke about uh, within the first five minutes about how when he was at Sandhurst, he had to go on the Stats for Twats call. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, you're going to have to do this in words of one syllables, everyone. And, and immediately everyone, you know, everyone, we all laughed, everyone relaxed um, and it was much easier. Um, and, and the fact that the general had said that, you know, he's not really comfortable with data um, meant that we all could relax a bit. Um, and it was that's a much And it's just small things like that. Very, very, very small. Yeah, that's nice. And, and, and you're in the business of teams. You've, you've, you've been leading teams and... In partnership, you've got a mixed team. You've got, uh, which is really quite challenging, having a mixture of civilians and military, and and then also having to partner at level. When you've been on an inspiring team that worked well and handled challenges well, which one would you pick to tell a story about, and what qualities did you admire? Um, I think actually it's my 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 leadership team now, um, uh, and what we've gone through in the past couple of years in taking what has been a, you know, what was a quite a, I suppose, a downtrodden, to use the term, but, you know, quite a downtrodden team who were, you know, they've been battered by the press, the politicians, capture the army for, for years and being, you know, apparently unable to deliver. And, you know, for, for an awful lot of reasons that were not their own making at all. Um, and being able to, you know, we made a really definite, deliberate decision that we were going to invest in driving the leadership capabilities and qualities of that middle layer management team through through a uh, and we and, and we you know we didn't have a lot of money and he's tight really tight we lost a lot of money in this on army recruiting captain has um, and we didn't have a lot of time either we were operationally under huge pressure but we made a decision to invest in a what we called the inclusive leadership program which is all about driving inclusion um, and also about driving up leadership capability um, and that that was a huge investment in a, in our top hundred or so people um, but we collectively decided to do that and my leadership team supported me in that when you know at a time when really we haven't got any money and we and we need to focus on the operation but but it was absolutely the right thing to do and showed. and that program drove so much cohesion and cultural change through the both military and civilian parts of the organization that it enabled huge success and so while we were doing that we were also dealing with all of the um, operational challenges, hurdles, bad press, difficult IT system go live that that you know that recru army recruiting had to cope with. But the team has resiliently stepped up to absolutely everything that's come along. And actually, you know, when we got to middle of March and, and a pandemic arrived, it really was there was a bit of a sigh, some black humour, you know, rolling up of the sleeves and right, okay, what's next then? Um, and they just you know kept going. So and, and that is, I think, all about well. Partly the, you know, having been through challenges and been successful together, so we know we can do it. Um, partly about the kind of esprit de corps that we have from, from having done all of that, but also about the really clear purpose, I think, that we have. I mean, it would be very different, easy to go and get another job in, well, pre-COVID it would have been, um, to go and get another job in, in a recruiting operation elsewhere. But actually, nothing is more important than recruiting for the British Army. Um, and an awful lot of my team have been around for the, the duration of this contract and haven't chosen to go elsewhere, even when it got really tough, because the core mission, the purpose of what we do is so important. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that that a really powerful purpose will will cohere and, and allow a team to endure a lot as well. Time and again, meaning and purpose comes to the fore. If you have a clear burning why, you can cope with any what or how. 
Um, yeah. It was Goethe, the philosopher said. And uh, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's all again, it's about meaning and purpose. Yeah. And the British Army has a clear purpose. You know, Santa's served to lead uh, was its very, very motto. Um, also, um, we found Ben and I that the, the best leaders we come across are willing to admit the mistakes they made. This is part of the authenticity. A bit like Paul Manson saying, like me, that he was not good at statistics. Um, what would be your story of, of, of your vulnerability and your mistakes? And, and what have you learned from those early mistakes as a leader that has shaped the leader you are today? Well, that, there are loads, clearly. <laughs> I've, made, I've made bundles of mistakes. Um, I, think, I think one I come back to again and again is, um, is not letting things fester. Um, and and not hoping that problems will solve themselves. Um, and you know, and there's been any number of, of of times that I've been guilty of doing this in my career, whether that was a, a client relationship issue or um, a team issue. You know, and, and particularly la last year, I had I had a, a real issue within my team where uh, there were there were there was a key relationship that just wasn't working and really wasn't working, and it was it was causing issues operationally and issues for for the team around it. Um, and and I just kind of hoped it would fix itself, you know. I, I absolutely did. Um, and it wasn't until it it had, you know, it, like you know, don't be too specific, but it become very very challenging. And there was a particular incident. I realised I had to deal with it. Um, and I sat the individuals down who were concerned, and you know, had a very direct conversation with them, um, and was very honest and straight with them both. And actually, they appreciated it, and the situation was resolved. Um, and it's it's that the, the the importance of being at the top of and there's something called the accountability ladder, which you can Google it and there's there's images of it uh, you'll find on the internet. Um, but I carry the accountability ladder on a credit card in my purse, and I have done for about the last seven or eight years since I was introduced to it. Um, and it's a really important reminder that you always always as a leader need to be at the top of the accountability ladder. Um, and actually, we have it on our wall all around recruiting group um, and it was a core part of our inclusive leadership program that I mentioned so it's for us it's common it's a common lexicon um, about and being at the top of the accountability ladder means you are finding solutions and you are making them happen being at the bottom of the accountability ladder means you know you're, you're exhibiting kind of passive behaviors like blaming others uh, waiting and hoping um, you know and, and or you know just refusing to kind of own and drive um, the situation so I think uh, you know, there's countless examples where I've, I've, I've found myself sliding, sliding into the bottom half of the ladder um, and I've had to give myself a real kick in the rear end and say, yeah, mm -hmm. get up the ladder, get to the top of the ladder. So definitely a number Great of... Advice. Great yeah, advice. That's, that's, uh, you've got to be active and not... That's, that's really good. And um, well, I remember, Kath, when we, we finished going live, do stay on and we'll just chat at the end of this when we come off air. Um, uh, I'll hand over to Ben shortly, but my final question before I hand over to Ben is, um, we learn a lot from our darkest moments in our personal life or our work. What, what would you be prepared to share as one of your darkest moments, um, what we call um, life is in the transitions, one of your transition points, your turning points in your life, work or um, personal, and, and what did you learn from that? Sure. Um... Again, there's there's been a few. I think one I'd pick out if I was thinking about the last couple of years was um, the week before, and this is very clear in my mind, the week before Christmas 2018, um, 
when I was about six months into my role, um, we were starting to turn things around, I guess, operationally, um, but we were still, you know, up against it. And there was a there was a week where um, we'd had a national audit office investigation into recruiting, um, which was very high profile, and that um, that launched, that was published in the press. So in that, the beginning of my week was was dealing with that and the fallout from that um, and a lot of press interest. Um, that was tough. Um, and then following that, um, I got a phone call to say that we were suffering from a, an attack, a cyber attack on our IT system that underpins our recruitment process. We might have to turn it off um, within the next seven days. So there was a right team. We have to work out how we could operate paperless if we had to in the next seven days. So weekend before Christmas, cancelled. Everyone worked all weekend. So we were in the middle of that. Um, and then and then one of my team had a stroke and was seriously in the hospital. And then the next day, the our advertising campaign, um, which was ready for launch in January, and we always launch in January, and there's always a, you know, there's a big, it's a it's a big deal for us. And it, and actually it was the the infamous snowflake campaign, actually. Um, and the sun got hold of the story, and the sun that somehow the campaign had leaked, and the sun were gonna run the story. So in the space of a week, I had all four of those things happen. Um, and I remember kind of looking up and going, really, is there anything else that you want to chuck at me right now? Um, and that was, you know, that was a, that was a really, really tough time. Um, and I think, you know, through that, I learned that, you know, relying, allowing yourself to rely on the team around you is really important. You know, your, your team can be a huge sense, uh, source of support. Yeah. Um, and, and actually laughter, gallows humor, laughter is sometimes the best, the best medicine to get to get through these things. Um, I think um, when it when times are tough, you have to focus on, and, and I've said this recently to my team actually, given the situation we're in now, you have to control the controllables. That those two things. Control the controllables and don't worry about the rest, because you cannot do anything about the rest, but you can control the controllables. Um, and I think the and I think you know there's that great. Churchill quote about when you're in, when you're uh, you're going through hell, just keep going. Um, there's there's also that you know, remember that it will pass eventually, whatever you're going. Um, and and then my final thing is I always um, try and get a sense of perspective in what I do because ultimately it's just recruitment, right? I know it's important, but it's just recruitment. My sister's a a pediatric uh, surgeon at Guys and St Thomas's, so whenever it's bad, I remind myself that she's cutting open small babies um mm. whatever tough things i think i'm dealing with insignificant really <laughs> well, uh, well before i head over to ben I'll, I'll just say that uh, everything you've shared there is very stoic in philosophy and uh, i love the daily stoic by marcus aurelius and if you read it each mm. chapter each day you'll see many of the things you've talked about particularly control and control and this too, this too shall pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this too shall over to you ben thank you ken fantastic Kath, so nice to, to, to hear um, about your journey and, and some fantastic advice there. Uh, and I think it's re really sort of hit a chord with a number of people who are, who are, are watching and um, listening. So um, we've had um, some comment from uh, uh, Kardak, uh, I believe he works for you. So, so... That's Q. His name is Q. 
He's great. You are ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, proud to be working along in your team. So it's a great, great um, accolade for you. Um, and um, we've got a question from Don here. It's a very long question, so I'm going to put it up on the thing. But it may mean okay. that we have to peek over the question. So just be, okay. be, be okay. ready for that. I'll change it to a different view, but. Less um, is more, Don. Less is more. Yeah, 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 there we go. So people often prefer perception of a performance of a team to the truth of performance, even if the team are performing well. Can you give any guidance on how I can change the external, wider perception of a very professional team who are doing very good work? Um, and uh, uh, when others in the organisation think they are unprofessional and out of kilter of the organisation and cultures and values? Asking for a friend. <laughs> right, great. Wow. Let's great take that question. one off there. So we would have to peer up the top to take the question down. Yeah, okay. there we go. Uh, so hi, Don, that's a great question. Um, and actually one that really resonates because we've gone through exactly that experience um, within Capita, I suppose, and within the army. You know, recruiting group was perceived within the army as a failing organisation. And RPP, which is what, what we're known as in Capita, Recruiting Partnering Project, um, was you know absolutely perceived by the rest of Capita as, as a failing organisation. And people used to get, if you asked, uh, if any of my staff were asked where they were on RPP, the rest of Capita would say, oh, bad, did something bad in a previous life. Um, so we were, one of the things I really focused hard on, we've had, we have four themes we focus on, is, is our people, our candidate experience, um, our partnership with the army and our reputation. Those are the four things that, that we decided we were going to focus on, that we were going to turn army recruiting around and that reputation is not just external with the press but absolutely internal with the army and with capita as well so i would say that the way we have gone about that is making sure that we actively celebrate every single success and do it and publicize it so whether that's on company intranet um whether that's on uh, in your monthly reports to the board, um, whatever whatever format you have, making sure that you shout about your team's successes, um, and and don't you know be be proud to do that. Um, I would advise you to do that. One thing I I did with the capital board actually was we produced a an annual it was just a leaflet an A five leaflet of you know a very brief twelve pages of what our plan was for the year a couple of years ago when we were, were resetting what we did talking about our strategic themes talking about where the areas we were going to focus on in order to deliver the targets. Um, and it was intended for the internal audience of my own team so that all 1,400 people really understood very clearly our strategy and our approach. Um, but I also took the opportunity to send that to the capital board so that they could see what we were doing and that we had real clarity and we were organised and, and structured and we, were going to, we, we knew how we were going to go after the, the challenge. So there's those kind of things, I would say. I mean, I would be unashamedly um, proactive and boastful about your team's achievements or your friends. You can tell your friend that you're asking for um, this. Um, and yeah, but but do it. Be really deliberately proactive about it. Don't don't expect that it will happen otherwise. I suppose. Yeah, great advice. And um, we've got a, a few questions from Sean. He's been been quite busy with <laughs> with the questions, so we'll, we'll uh, sort of try and rattle through 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 a few of them. So. Um, He's mentioning about your turnaround story with with um, with uh, the the recruiting group and, and the army, and um, just sort of asking, do you, do you think that uh, cap the contract was uh, saved by um, by COVID slightly reporting for um, duty? Uh, no, uh, because I think um, we delivered the entirety of the target last year way before COVID arrived. 
Um, so we, we, we've done what we needed to do to fix the contract and fix the operation, absolutely. Um, I do think that, and we're seeing it, that, that the, you know, the economic situation and, you know, history has shown time and again that an economic downturn will result in more applications to join the army. And we are seeing that. So that undoubtedly will support recruitment into the army over the next 12 to 18 months, I think. Um, but, but interestingly, it's, it's not just about applications. Um, as I mentioned earlier, actually, it's getting them through the recruiting pipeline. So in, in a pandemic, getting them through assessment centres um, and in is actually the more challenging bit than, than attracting the applications, ironically. Um, but yes, I expect that an economic downturn is, is going to mean more applications for us. But that's only a, a small part of the, uh, the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he, he follows up um, just asking your views on the um, strategic defence review and lots of leaks coming out of the defence might be might be shrunk. What do you, what do you uh, so I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I have no inner. I have no inner path on that one. Um, what I would say is that from a recruiting perspective, we're quite concerned that, you know, if there is a, if and I don't know at all, if there is any message that uh, that the army or the armed forces will be will be cut, mm. then. You know that 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 could have a really adverse impact on recruiting because uh, it took us years, the army years, to recover from uh, the redundancies that were made in about 2009-2010. Um, and because for, and the public perception for a long time was that the army was closed for business, you know, wasn't recruiting. Um, and so if you know if there's that kind of message or that in in the press, no matter how true it is or not, you know, then that that could that could have a real adverse impact for us on on recruiting. Um, yeah. But yeah. Definitely. Um, and. Uh, Finally, finally from Sean, um, we've got uh, how how are you changing uh, to, to recruit and capture the new type of recruit needed for um, cyber and, and security and digital age? Yeah, another another great question. So um, the there's still there's a lot of debate at the moment about lateral entry and how the armed forces need to change from being a, a bottom fed organisation. So you join at a private as a soldier or a, or a very junior officer. Um, and how we can capture more skills by allowing people to join at a more senior point in their careers. Um, the army are, and the army and all armed forces have a, the MOD has a project that is kicking off now in terms of getting into implementation, design and the thinking has been done around how they can make lateral entry work. Um, separately, you know, we, we do still recruit for cyber skills into, into soldier roles. Um, and that's into the into, into the, the uh, ironically still named Royal Signals, even though it's not flags anymore. <laughs> you know, you join the signals. Actually, you are you know you're doing into cyber electronic warfare specialist type roles. So um, so that is absolutely a core part of of the roles we recruit uh, for now as well. Just thank you for those up, just, questions, Sean. Yeah, Sean, uh, ex-serviceman himself, um, and a very fine officer, but he does a marvellous. Um, uh, weekly blog, which uh, is, uh, captures what's going on in the world um, very well. But it, I was, for 10 of my 20 years, in the Royal Corps of Signals and also in electronic warfare. And um, one of the generals I interviewed recently said, you know, we're going to have to, uh, he was a senior officer just retiring, we're going to have to really look at lateral hires. We've always fed from the bottom and you had to begin as a second lieutenant or a private soldier and work your way slowly up to the top. But that's just not relevant for, for the current world we're in. And when you need certain specialist skills, when you've got to bring people in. And we also, you know, yeah, sorry. It's needed. Sorry. It's needed. No, it's just needed. Uh, and we, and yeah, we also need to find a way of, of not, you know, if you are a cyber expert, you do not need to be super fit and medically A1. No, that's, and that's the other, the other challenge to think about, I think. 
in the in the coming years mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, another nice comment from um, Annette Thorpe. Um, I know, as we were discussing the the purpose of a, of, a, in, uh, of an organisation, she's she's really agreeing with that that sort of ethos and that journey to work towards um, um, your common common goal goals. Um, Why not? Um, Fiona would like to say inspiring stuff. Great role model. <laughs> Fiona is a, is one of my team, so you know she, she's really, she's very inspiring herself. Trust me. Well, she's some leaders, some leaders, not on this show. None of their team would ever say they're inspiring, but luckily on this show, <laughs> we tend to get the team say they are inspiring. And the only reason yeah, you right. came on is because somebody else said you were inspiring, so not because <laughs> you said you were. So that's a. Uh, um, Oh, fantastic so so some really lovely comments there and and, and if anyone's got any more questions please it do, is being recorded for Adam. adam's asking yeah. i'm late has it been recorded comments. it will be recorded yeah. it's, it's recorded and we'll post it up again but um a, a couple more questions for, for you um kath and if anything else comes up in the feed i'll, I'll um i'll put those questions up um we we spoke about um sort of how you you've sort of dealt with some some darker times and, and getting through through crises and um I'd like to know. You you mentioned like um, that that humour is, is is often something you use to 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 counteract that and get through these times. And have you got any sort of examples of that of, of humorous stories that you? you there are there are trust me there are so many. We have only half joked several times. Uh, the army guys and I about about the tragedy docu sitcom that we will one day write about army recruiting, and we will not have to make any of it up. Um, but the, the one that I do, I, I have told in the past, but uh, but not probably in a public forum before, because at the time it was a little bit, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry when this one happened. But um, we had a an IT system go live, which you know quite publicly did, went, went badly for the first six months or so. Um, but one of the lesser, lesser known glitches in this particular system was um, with related to candidate phone numbers. So a candidate, when a candidate applies, we ask them for their mobile number. We also ask them for their landline number if they have one. And some candidates, for reasons best known to themselves, decided to only put the second half of their landline number, which is you know, the six-digit second part of your, your landline number, um, which would be fine, except for two things. One is that um, six-digit numbers are pager numbers. Um, and we, at that point particularly, sent a lot of automated messaging out via text message to try and get candidates to visit their portal and, and do things in terms of their, uh, their application process. Um, and obviously, there are still some sections of society that use pages, like LifeLocal. So we managed in April 2018 to call out the Gosport and Portsmouth, Gosport and Fairham LifeLocal, three times in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, um, and when my team told me this, I, I literally, I, did, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I mean, the fact that that could have happened. They were basically, the team, the pages were going off with the lifeboat crew. Um, so they, the, what happens, you know, your, your pager goes off, you get up, you throw clothes on and you and you run to the lifeboat station. And two minutes later, then the message was coming through. <laughs> George, please go to www.armyjobs.co.uk and check your portal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. How did you make it up to them? How oh, did you send they them were, a hamper? <laughs> they were amazing. So no, I rang them. I apologised. They were great, and I said, "Look." And that's why I arranged a thousand pound donation actually from Capita to their charity. 
Um, and and they and they were incredibly grateful. I said, I'm really sorry. And they said, Well, uh, you must come down and visit the lifeboat. So I so I went down um, one summer's day, lovely sunny day it was. I went down and I found myself um, the lifeboat got out called out on a on a on a on a mission, and it came back and they and I said, Well, what what happens now? I said, Well, we, we have to we have to scrub it down because the the uh, the salt's really bad for the lifeboat. So I found myself um, scrubbing the lifeboat. There was so that was my penance. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was, you literally could not have written that. Yeah, but, it's amazing um, the things that can go wrong. That's like, yeah. that's so, yeah. so left field. Yeah, it was completely, completely left field. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, so, so in, in your sort of career or life, it, what, what's your sort of proudest moment um, for you? Um, well, apart from my children, obviously, I must say that. Um, <laughs> I think in in the in this in this role um, that it was the, it was February this year um, and standing standing next to Paul Nansen at a press conference we held up in Harrogate at which the defence correspondents of the UK were sitting and and talking to them about the journey we've been on and the fact that we were going to achieve 100% of the army's target of the year, mm. which was a something that no one thought we were capable of doing. No one mm. um, and to be able to stand up and 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 tell that story. And then the subsequent, the next day, there was a front page headline of the Daily Telegraph um, about it. Was that was amazing, really? Yeah, yeah true, yeah. truly amazing. I was so proud, of the I was so proud of the team. You know, the, everyone had worked so hard, blood, blood, mm. sweat, tears over many years um, mm. to get to that point. So yeah, hugely proud moment. Very impressive. Fantastic. Um, and just a little quick fire, quick fire round, just on on um, on some of the habits that are successful. So we, we we always look at like our, our inspiring leaders and just look that often they have things that they do all the time or, or actions that they take that have uh, got them to to where they are and made them successful leaders. So we just sort of look at that around be wealthy and wise, and um, obviously, especially this year, we've all been through some pretty tough times and stressful moments. How have you maintained that sort of healthy outlook, both mentally and physically? Um, well, I think there's one thing about you know in in my job and in in most in lots of our jobs, you could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's still be more to do. So you have to draw a line and stop. Uh, I'm just going right. I'm not I'm not doing anymore <laughs> because because otherwise you go, you'd go insane. Um, so that and then I do not as much as I'd like, but um, get out. Uh, running um, and cycling to try and keep fit um, and I play cricket as well actually so um, that's getting that started again has been uh, has been really good it's been great fun very therapeutic getting in the nets and, and smacking some cricket balls trust me. Yeah. And, and, the yeah, coach. And, and the coaching Excellent. yeah that's right yeah that's <laughs> you must have been going crazy in uh, in, uh, in lockdown you must have been itching to get back out you, yeah but you can still go running can't you you can still go running that was that was all saving grace of, uh, of uh, where I lived yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, secondly, we're, obviously, there's lots of people that are going to be having um, tough times in regard to money. Um, is, is there any piece of advice that you've given or or got that you sort of live by with it within uh, sort of the world of money? God, my husband would laugh at this one. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest. I'd say I, my perspective is it's it's only money. Right, it's only money. Most important thing is is your health and those of your family and loved ones. Really. Yeah, yeah. That's, Good advice. that's it. I have no, I have no money wisdom. Get your prices right. Yeah, yeah. 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 and um, 
and finally just this piece of wisdom that you strive to to sort of live your life by well uh, i mentioned dawn marriott sims earlier who's a great female role, female role model and one thing she said to me which i which stuck with me and i say a lot to my teams actually is um is seek forgiveness not permission mm. so i that's a, a mantra i adopt a lot um and i think you cut through an awful lot of bureaucracy um and indecision um if you can if you can live by that mantra and i've definitely you know there's been times when it's tripped me up and i've had to apologize but broad, most of the time it's fine so it served me well brilliant that's a that's a, a great piece of advice um and just finally with 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 a question we ask at the end is, is, is there any uh, book which has um, helped sort of shape your career or life or just something that you've really enjoyed reading, especially in this, uh, this sort of lockdown period? Um, well, the, the, the book, every, I think all, all leaders quote at the moment is, is Matthew Side's Rebel Ideas. So I'm not going to do that, but that is brilliant. Um, the, the other one I've read in the last year, which um, really struck a chord with me, is Daniel Coyle's The Culture Code. Um, which talks a lot about the importance of of belonging and of creating belonging in, in teams and of psychological safety, and that being one of the core success factors for successful teams. Um, I would I would highly recommend any any leaders to to read Daniel Cole's book. Um, absolutely. That sounds really sort of relevant for the the crisis of the situation we've been through and, and, yeah. and leaders being able to extend that sort of blanket of care and um and empathy across um, across their teams absolutely absolutely and it links completely to that that point about authenticity and empathy mm. you know, being yourself and encouraging everybody around you to be there to be their selves and to be comfortable in their own skin and expressing their opinions um, and yeah, that's yeah. how you get the best out of everybody yeah I was just going to say that it's been really great having you on the series. Thank you. Um, it's clear from the, the, the host of questions that we've had that not only do people who know you find you inspiring, but others who don't know you have found you inspiring. Um, I've loved the way that uh, Ben and I, I'm sure Ben would agree with me, have loved the way you've, you've answered the questions. Uh, it's been really useful. Uh, stay, on, stay on the line when we uh, come off air and we'll have a bit more of a chat. But thank you very much for. Uh, your contribution and sharing your wisdom and experience. Well, thank you both for having me and thank you people who have listened. I'm humbled. People have. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>so now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.